Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Genesis chapter 3, we read verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. Verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Right, so we are in chapter 2 of our story. You know where we are going. Chapter 1 of our story is the creation, and chapter 2 is titled The Fall. This chapter 2 of our story, the story of the whole world, is actually a story of mutiny. It's a story of rebellion in the kingdom. We started pushing into that story bit by bit, and we said that that story is not a myth. We said that story is not a legend. Yes, there were trees. Yes, there was the walking, talking serpent. The story is real. The story is true. The story is part of a larger view and a larger true story of creation. And that story of creation is real. That story of creation is true. And this story of the event that happened in the fall is equally a real and true story. So we have answered the question about the serpent who the serpent is, what the serpent represents, okay? We have looked at that in our previous teaching, and we have seen that the Bible definitely tells us that the serpent is identified as representing Satan. And his one task from the beginning is to subvert the rule of God, is to oppose the rule of God and try and pull the man and the woman down with evil and subtlety. So, who is this devil whom the Bible calls Satan? That is the adversary. The Bible calls him the devil. That is the slanderer, the tempter, the wicked one, the evil one. The Bible calls him a murderer, a liar, the father of all lies. The Bible called him a deceiver. So, who is this devil? Where did he come from? And why was he in the Eden Garden? In answering this question, there's some word of caution that we need to discuss first. The first thing is that the Bible is silent or brief on so many issues that we are curious about. We need to understand that. Now, we are not answering this question out of curiosity. We are not ask, ask, asking this question so that we can just tantalize our own curiosity or satisfy our own curiosity. We are answering this question in the sense of saying, what has the Bible said about this question so that we can understand, so that we can learn, and so that we can walk in the light of it. Sometimes the spiritual realm is purposefully concealed. The Bible says that there are some things that are revealed and they are for us and our children, but there are some things that are not revealed. There are some things that are revealed to one generation 
that were not revealed to another generation. We need to understand that revelation is progressive. So that is the second word of caution, that sometimes the spiritual realm is purposefully concealed. Our theology must always be based on exegesis, and that is important. Our theology must always be based on exegesis. In other words, we must allow the Bible to speak to us rather than we imposing our interpretation upon the Bible. We must allow the Bible to interpret itself. We must allow the Holy Spirit to interpret the Scripture for us, and that is what we call exegesis. That is a proper interpretation, investigation and interpretation of the Scripture rather than we a suggestion, which is when people actually read their own desire and their own interpretation into the scripture. So what I'm saying is simply this. We have to stop where the Bible stops. We have to stop where the Bible stops. And that is very, very important. So when all is said and done, there will still be unanswered question about the nature and the origin of evil. There will be still be some unanswered question about the nature and the origin of the devil. Now, the Bible does, and we'll be looking at that as we go on. The Bible does give us quite a number of information, revelation that we can work with, that will help us to live our life as a Christian and fight the fight of faith. And, you know, the Bible says that we, we, we wrestle. So we need to understand this. So there, there are things that the Bible revealed to us. But what we are saying is that we don't just want to be sensational. We don't just want to, you know, to entertain or satisfy our curiosity. We simply want to see what the Bible has spoken. We want to go where the Bible goes and we want to stop where the Bible stops. So you need to understand that a lot of what we know about the origin and the fall of Satan in the Bible are sometimes anecdotal, okay? We have to look into various parts of the scripture and bring them together and see how much the scripture has revealed to us. So we did say in previous teaching that a whole lot of what the scriptures reveal to us about the origin and the fall of Satan and the origin of evil, will not find it in the Genesis account of creation. We have to go back into the other books of the Bible. And two primary, you know, scripture that people go to that throw a lot of light for us on the origin of evil, on the rise and fall of Satan in the Bible is Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. Okay, that is where we are going to go today. Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. And the question here is, how do we interpret these passages exegetically? How do we interpret them and not actually abuse them and not actually try to read our own interpretation into them? How can we be sure that these two, we are looking at these two portions of the scripture, how are we going to be sure that they were referring to the origin, nature, and fall of Satan? Okay, those are some of the things we want. We don't want to, we want, let's put it positively, we want to be sure that our interpretation and our, our examination of the scripture are exegetical. In other words, we are allowing the Bible to speak rather than we imposing something upon it. So let us read those portions of the scripture first. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. How art thou falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which this weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend 
into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the height of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So that is Isaiah chapter 14. Let us read Ezekiel chapter 28. And we are going to read verses 12 to 17. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, even Every precious stone was thy covering, the saddles, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the oins, and the jasper, and the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablet and of thy pipes were preparing thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked upon the up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Verse 15. Thou was perfect in the ways. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou had seen, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Right. Okay. So we have read a little bit of a long one, and we've read Isaiah, we've read Ezekiel. So we need to approach these two parts of the scripture in a very orderly manner, in a very methodical manner. So the first thing we need to consider is the historical context of these two scriptures that we've read. So number one, we have to look at the context. That's the first thing. For you to do a good exegesis, a good interpretation of the scripture, the first thing you need to ask yourself is the context. Okay. Now, Throughout the history of the church, um, these two verses have been used to actually look at the origin or the rise and the fall of Satan. And the question is, is that a legitimate way to interpret this scripture? Because that form of approach has had its fear criticism you know, all across history. So the question is, yes, church fathers over the history of the church, have seen in these two verses a, a, a prehistorical uh, record of what happened to Satan. And the question we are asking ourselves is, is that a right way to actually interpret it? What was the context of Isaiah that we read? This Isaiah chapter 14 that we read, what was his context? What was the context of Ezekiel chapter 28 that we read? Now, the first thing is that the historical context of Isaiah originally was a reference to the king of Babylon. And the historical context of Ezekiel originally was a reference to the king of Tyrus. Now, Ezekiel was given this prophecy concerning the king of Tyrus. Now, when you go to Isaiah, that is not clear from the portion of the scripture that we read. But if we go back and read it in turn, you will see that the historical context of the book of Isaiah chapter 14, the reference there, the primary 
subject of that of that um, prophecy was concerning the king of Babylon. So that is the contest. That is the contest. So, and and we've, we did this when we're looking at interpreting the scripture, that when you want to interpret any portion of the scripture, always ask yourself, to whom was this or about whom was this originally written? And to whom was this originally written? And the first people that received this portion of the scripture, how did they understand it? So that was the contest. Remember, we said when you are interpreting a test, there's the test, there's the contest, and there's the co-test. So we've looked at the contest. Now, let's look at the test itself. Now, when you look at the test themselves, it is clear that some of the description definitely go beyond any mere human king. Now, that is very, very clear that, yes, it was the, the, the primary sub subject was this king, but when you look at the the test itself, when you look at the content of the test itself, you could see that some of these descriptions go beyond what any mere human kingdom or king could have experienced. For example, if you look at that Ezekiel test, no earthly king can, can claim to be in the Eden or to be the anointed cherub who covers or to be on the holy mountain of God. So we can go on and on and on. So, and it's the same thing actually in that test in Isaiah. So we look at the context, we look at the test, and then let us look at the cold test. In other words, let's look at what other portion of the Bible, what light they actually throw on these two portions of the scripture. The Lord Jesus used the words in Isaiah to describe the defeat of darkness. When he sent, you remember when he sent the 70 disciples out to preach in every city that he himself would go to. The Lord Jesus actually used the scripture or used phrases use the word that we have just read in Isaiah chapter 14. The Lord Jesus used those same word, and but this time around, he's actually applying it to the defeat of darkness. Now, let's read that. But before we do that, let's look at another co-test. Another co-test here is in Revelation chapter 12, verses 8 to 9. Revelation chapter 12, verses 8 and 9 also share the judgment motif of being in injected from heaven and into the earth. This is the same experience that we read in Isaiah, that we read in Ezekiel, and we see that Revelation chapter 12 actually applied that to the devil. So let us read both those portions of the scripture, the one about our Lord Jesus Christ and the one in Revelation. So let's read Luke first, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Remember this verse when the Lord Jesus have sent out the 70, they've gone, they've preached, he gave them authority, they've seen the devil, you know, you know, respond, they've seen body heal, they've seen, you know, devil cast down and they said, was, the devil was subject to us in your name. They returned, excited, they returned with joy and the Lord Jesus started speaking. And one of the things he said is this, verse 18, he said, and the Lord Jesus said unto them, and he, that's the Lord Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. That is the same essence and prefix of, of phrase that we, we've read in, in what we read in the prophet. The Lord Jesus said, I beheld Satan as a lightning fall from heaven. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angel fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world, and it was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out 
with him. You will see straight away that these two portions of the scripture we read in the New Testament were directly borrowing expression from what we've read in the book of Isaiah and what we've read in the book of Ezekiel. And what I'm saying is that we've looked at the at the context of this two portion of the scripture, we've looked at the test itself and we look at the co-test. What we are trying to do here is to make sure that we are not doing, you know, we are not abusing those two scriptures. And we're beginning to see here that is there's definitely good justification. There's definitely biblical justification for us to see in these two portion of the scripture, Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, there is good uh, reason, exegesis to see in these two portions of the scripture, something that the Holy Spirit has given us about a, a revelation of the origin, the fall, the rise and the fall of Satan. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. Indeed, these tests were about Gentile kings. So that is very, very clear. That was the contest. And one of the things that both of these Gentile kings shared, you know, Babylon and the king of Tyre, one of the things both of them shared in common is pride and arrogance. This desire to be like God. And we are going to come, you can see where this is going. And we are going to come back to that when we go back to um, see how the story of the fall unfold. But yes, and you can see why this is a, a, you know, a symbol or a type of a picture of the devil. Because this king, the reason why Isaiah and Ezekiel is prophesying concerning them is because of their pride and their arrogance, their desire to be like God. And what we see in both cases is that this king were humbled, this king were destroyed and humbled by Yahweh. And that is exactly what we see, isn't it, in the story of the devil. Okay, now when you then look at Babylon, when you go to the New Testament, you will see that in the New Testament, Babylon has come to be synonymous with the realm or the domain of the devil. Now, as, as, as you read this New Testament, Babylon has come to symbolize everything and ev anything that is against God, a kingdom and a government that have raised its head against God. Let's read, let's read Revelation chapter 17 to try and confirm that. Revelation chapter 17, we read verses 3 to 6. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of name of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stone and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abomination and filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5, and upon her head, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saint and with the blood of the matter of Jesus. And when I saw, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. You will see that down Revelation, Babylon has come to be closely associated with the devil and his kingdom in the sense of being you know, demonically against the purpose of God, wanting to destroy the purpose of God, destroy the people of God. So Babylon, the Babylon of the Old Testament, mirrored Satan in his pride. The loss for power, self-centered ambition, totalitarian domination, 
All those things are what is come to be associated with Babylon. And those are the things that we know about Satan. So the Babylon of the Old Testament mirrors Satan in his pride. And this is what led to the fall of Babylon. This is what led to the fall of Tyre. And obviously, this is what led to the fall of Satan. So in her pride and her fall, Babylon is a picture of the pride and the fall of Satan. And this is why saints throughout Christian history have read into this story and have seen in this story in, in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel, this is why they have read and seen in this story a revelation of the rise and the fall of Satan. So Babylon and Tyre are types of godless human government and their kings are type of wicked leadership. Okay, and this is very, very important. And in the Old Testament, these wicked world leaders are connected and energized by their national gods and deities. Now, I'm going to stop there because I'm going to pick this up here. But what we are establishing here by the grace of God is that, yes, we are establishing that, yes, indeed, this portion of the scripture, they actually have double application, they have double application. And oftentimes, many, many, many portions of prophecy do have this type of double application. That sometimes, for example, we see this in the case of Jesus, a virgin shall be pregnant and give back to a baby. But when you go back to where that was actually given in the Old Testament, there was a primary application of that prophecy, but there was a secondary application. And you will see this often in prophecy. Yes, Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, there was a primary application of that prophecy with respect to the king of Babylon and with respect to the king of Tyre. But there is a secondary application to the devil. And that is what we are trying to establish here. In establishing this, that will help us to understand what is going on in Genesis chapter 3. Also, that will help us to understand what is going on in our own world, in our own life, with respect to the battle that we are fighting because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is the origin. The origin of this principality of power is all about pride, isn't it? The, the, it's all about pride. It's all about wanting to be God. And this is exactly what we see. But God brought him down. So we are, we are going to come back by the grace of God and we are going to dig a little bit more into this issue. And if you are listening to me, tonight, I want you to know that God loves you. And this whole world is under judgment. And the only way out is through the door, through the, you know, the, the rescue that God has provided on the cross of Jesus. Jesus did not go to that cross as a picnic. It's because that is the only way he could rescue us. Now it is left to you and I to accept his offer. You can bow down your head today, admit that you are a sinner, admit that you cannot help yourself, Ask him to save you and he will. He will come in and save you. Then he will walk the rest of this life with you. And when this is all over, because it will be over, you will spend eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. Do it right now. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.